So this morning, um, I wanted to talk about this idea of being an ambassador. But before that, I wanted to remind you of what I shared with you last week. Because last week I talked about falling and soaring. And uh, I was sharing how sometimes we can feel like what's before us is too much for us. It's too big for us. It's not possible. Uh, sometimes perhaps uh, all that we feel Jesus calls us to be is too difficult, too challenging. Um, maybe even unobtainable or unachievable. And whenever we have something new in front of us, it can, it can always be a little bit daunting, a little bit scary. But of course, if we never did anything new, if we never stepped out and did something beyond what we've previously done, then we would never learn to see how capable we are of truly incredible things. That's the truth. And I showed you this video of a mother eagle, and if you know anything about eagles there, the mother will literally push the babies out of the nest to get them to fly. And um, there was a line in this video that says, why does the thrill of soaring have to begin with the fear of falling? And um, you have the ability to do whatever God has put before you to do. Whatever it is, you have the ability to do it. There's no doubt in my mind or Jesus' mind that you are more than capable of doing everything you were called to do. But the problem is, before you can soar, you've got to fall. You've got to kind of, or to mix metaphors, before you can swim, you've got to go in the deep end or whatever other way you want to think about doing it. There has got to be this overcoming of this fear of falling before you're going to soar. And of course, if an eagle wants to soar, it's got to do something different. It's got to use its wings, which it's not used before in there. So if you're feeling out of your depth, that's okay. You've just got to maybe do something a little bit different. And then I shared with you the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 and Jesus kind of put them completely out of the depth. But we said this, that if you feel like you are falling, Jesus believes in you. He believes in you. Because he basically went to these people, you give them something to eat, and they went, well, we ain't got enough. But he knew they had enough in them. He knew they had it in them, they had to do it. And then there's this episode in the Bible in Matthew when Jesus is, uh, the story goes, he's walking on water, and he says, Peter, come on, walk with me. And Jesus never asks questions to humiliate us. He doesn't ask us to do things knowing we'll never do them. He just isn't like that. So when Jesus invites Peter, who constantly got it wrong, constantly made a mess, constantly just like, on the outside, he looked like the worst disciple ever because he just kept continually messing it all up. He goes, well, come on, you can do it. And he actually steps out of the boat and starts walking. And the message is this. Jesus believes that you can do it. Jesus thinks you can do it. Jesus has got faith in you. Jesus believes in you. Jesus, as I'm prayed, is fantastic and wonderful, and he thinks you're fantastic and wonderful. And what's amazing about that story is actually Jesus' faith in Peter. It's the fact that Jesus believed in him. Jesus believed it was possible. So, a couple of weeks ago, I shared about our identity in Jesus, and that in Jesus we are ambassadors. And remember, I said how in Jesus you were a son and a daughter, you're a prince and a princess, you're a saint. That's what Jesus sees you as. He doesn't don't see you as this terrible person. He doesn't see you as somebody who's got everything wrong. He doesn't see you as somebody who's guilty. He just doesn't see you in that way. It's just not how he sees you. But he also sees you as an ambassador. And we're going to keep exploring today and in the coming weeks this idea of what an ambassador might mean. But lots of times when people have been in Churches and Christian circles, they've kind of been told what to do 
and being told how to behave and do this, do this, do this, do that, which is completely the wrong way around. The right way around is to remind people who they are and then let them live from that place. I don't need to tell you what to do and what not to do if you start to grasp that you are a son and a daughter and a prince and a princess and a saint because you'll automatically do it because you'll want to do what dad wants because you love him and he loves you. The truth, of course, is there are very few things that we flow simply and naturally in. We, we have this ridiculous idea that we're meant to be brilliant at everything and we can just do it. And it's nonsense. We have this ridiculous idea that we have a child as a, as a family or maybe just as a single person we have a child and then we think we should just know what to do even though we've never done it before. Why would you know what to do if you've never done it before? That doesn't make any sense to me. But yet in our heads we have to go, I should know what to do. I'm a mum now, I should know what to do. Yeah, but has anybody told you? Has anybody showed you? Has anybody helped you? In a good way? There might be lots of ways you know I don't want to be a mum or I don't want to be a dad, but there's got to be some positive ways that you do want to be. There's very little that we're flowing naturally. We've had to learn all these things. So we have to learn that we're ambassadors. Because many of us have gone on this journey with learning that we're saints and not sinners. And many of us started, and maybe some of us still have to some degree, what, what you might call a, a sin-conscious mindset. Sin's just the word the Bible uses for those things that are unhealthy for yourself and those around you. And it means that we're aware, much more aware of our wrongdoing and our failure and our guilt than we are the fact that we're loved and cared for and precious. And you don't just wake up one morning and suddenly know in the fibre of your being that God loves you and it's all wonderful and fantastic. You don't suddenly wake up one morning and just realise that he thinks you're the best thing since sliced bread and he sings over you and delights over you and loves you and hugs you and all that jazz. Do you? I didn't anyway. I had a work here. I had a work at knowing. Who am I? Who did God create me to be? What does he say about me? Well, it's the same with this idea of being an ambassador. An ambassador is somebody who knows the heart of the king and the will of the king and works to speak that heart and bring that heart wherever he or she is sent. That's what an ambassador does. He brings the heart and will of the person who sent him to wherever he finds himself, which we don't always find easy. We don't flow easily and naturally sometimes in bringing the heart, will and love of the Father everywhere we go with everybody we meet. But if we... If we understood that we are ambassadors in the same way we are learning that we are sons and saints, then much would change because we would see every moment with everybody we come into contact with as a moment to share the will, the love and the heart of the Father. That's why I'm talking about learning to be an ambassador because as you understand what you carry, as you understand what you've got, as you understand that what you've got perhaps people need, you'll come to realise that you carry something incredibly Beautiful. And that's why I'm sharing this this week after soaring and falling last week because at the times it can be a bit scary. It can feel like we are falling, but actually it's about soaring. So to explore this, I want to look at a passage in the Bible in John in chapter 7. Now before I read that, let me give you some context to it. Jesus has been wandering all over Galilee, this place that he lived and he was there basically because the Jewish people in Judea, another part of where he lived, wanted to kill him. So he thought, well, I'm, I'm not quite ready to die yet, so I'm going to get out of there and go somewhere else. And the cultural background is it's a thing called the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Israelites, the Jewish people, they enjoyed a good feast. They enjoyed good parties and good feasts. God ordained them, God put them there. And there were three 
big ones, Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and this one, the Feast of Tabernacles. This is uh, kind of September, early October, and it's all about thanking God for his provision. It is, in other words, the first harvest festival. That's what the Feast of Tabernacles really is. And on this Feast of Tabernacles, everybody would go to Jerusalem, there'd be thousands of people everywhere, and for the first seven days, a priest would go to a, a particular pool called the Pool of Siloam, he'd get a big gold jug, he'd put the jug in, he'd carry the water back, <clears throat> and he would uh, come and he would pour the water out near the altar, and they would read uh, a word from the Old Testament in Isaiah, which said, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And I need my water that's just over there. Thank you. So, so to that backdrop, there's been seven days of this priest and all this worshipping and trumpets and <clears throat> all that. And it says this, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from them. So John says it's the last and greatest day, which isn't a coincidence. That means it's the eighth day. And the number eight in Jewish thinking signifies a new beginning, a new star. So when Jesus stands upon the last day, he's deliberately making a point about something brand new happening. And at the end of a feast of celebration for provision, and after seeing water from this special sacred pool being poured out every day, Jesus stands up, basically disrupts the entire meeting because he's not meant to be there and he's not, a, he's not meant to do this, so he's... He's quite disruptive in that sense. And he says something brand new. He offers not just to meet thirst, but says that if we drink of him, not only will our thirst be quenched, but such is the river of life that he offers. It will become an overflow to those around us. He's saying that the thirst inside of us for security, for love, for significance, for meaning, for purpose, for self-worth, the thirst for those deep things that make us whole is found in him. And of course, what's incredible is that people around the world are starting to realise that that's true. I read an article about Demi Moore the other day, the actress. She married Brad Pitt before Brad Pitt got famous. They were married just as he was filming Die Hard, which of course kind of propelled him. <clears throat> and she talks about a life and it's this in... You what? Not Brad Pitt, Bruce Willis. It begins with the same similar line. <laughs> Bruce Willis, anyways. I've only got a little bit I wanted to read here. And she, defied, she says this life, which is this incredible life that they had, uh, externally anyway. She says, I know that sounds like the perfect life, but as I would soon find out, if you carry a well of shame and unresolved trauma inside of you, no amount of money, no measure of success, or celebrity can fill it. And she literally had it all, externally. But she realised that, that, that the book that she's wrote is called Inside Out. Because <clears throat> what I think she probably learned was that no matter what you have on the outside, if it's still on the inside, it doesn't make any difference. Because life works from the inside out, not the outside in. But the most fascinating thing about this living water that flows is it's not designed just for you. It's meant to flow out from you at other places. Because you only have to look at nature to see that when things flow in but not out, it doesn't work very well. If, I, if these plants have nothing to drain and I just pour tons of water in them, eventually they'll just rot. Because there's got to be an outflow as well. This lake looks beautiful. 
Why? Because it's got an inflow of snowmelt and an outflow in a river. It's moving. There's a flow through it. This lake, though, is not quite as attractive. Why? Because it has nowhere to go. It rains, it stays there. And it's not particularly attractive. But it's the same with Jesus, of course. It's all right knowing him, and it, it's all right getting to know him and, and enjoying him and seeing him do incredible things like we do, which is fantastic. But actually, it's not just about you. In fact, it's not really about you at all. It's about everybody else as well. It's not just about you getting blessed and you getting healed and you being restored and God turning your life around and God bringing healing and all that sort of stuff, which is what he does and what we know he does and he can do for all of us. But actually, it's about then taking that somewhere else. Because otherwise, you become like that. And there are way too many people who say they love Jesus who look like that. And the reason they look like that and not like the other beautiful pool is because there's so much inflow and no outflow. It's because they're rushing everywhere and anywhere, trying to sort themselves out, and so bothered about themselves and consumed with themselves that they forget. Actually, when you get an inflow and an outflow, that's when it becomes incredibly beautiful. And you see incredible things. The truth is that you already have living water flowing on the inside of you. The truth is, Jesus lives on every one of us. Some of us just don't realise it yet, but it's true. He lives on the inside of every one of us. And the truth is, when you realise that and you go, oh, yeah, he is and he's there and he, he kind of comes alive in you, which he, he does, this is what's true, okay? You are a finder. You are a direction giver. You are bread for the hungry. You are life for the dying. You are health for the sick and you are water for the thirsty. You are already those things. That's what it means to actually know Jesus. It means that, that he... He, he, he feeds your hunger. He gives you life or death. It heals you internally, emotionally, mentally, physically. It means he gives you water for your thirst, but it also means you are that for everybody else. That's what you are. You want to know who you are? That's it right there. You are a finder. You are a direction giver. You are bread for the hungry. You are life for the dying. You are health for the sick, and you are water for the sick. Oh, water for the sick? Well, they might need a drink. Water for the thirsty, and you are that right now. It's not something you are going to become. It's not something you need to reach for. It's something you already are. But the only way you get more food and more water and more health is by giving it away. And then you get more of it. The issue, of course, is whether we believe it about ourselves. Whether we agree that that's the truth. I know I'm a direction giver. I know I am bread for the hungry. I know I am life for the dying. I know I am health for the sick. And I know I am water for the thirsty. Not because I've done anything, but because Jesus lives in me and he's desperate to be shared with anybody and everybody who's there. But perhaps the other issue is understanding the responsibility that that brings. You see, lots of people want to deny that truth because it means something. Because it would be very irresponsible to know the way for people to get home and yet not share those directions with people who are lost. It would be very irresponsible to have a huge supply of food but not share it with hungry people. It would be very irresponsible to carry abundant life and not share it with people who are dying. It would be very irresponsible to carry abundant healing but not share it with people who are ill. It would be very irresponsible to walk around a desert with a huge supply of water, but not share that water with thirsty people, would it? No. Yeah, it's gone a bit quiet now. I thought it might. 
So Jesus said in Luke 19 and verse 10 that his purpose on earth was to seek and save what was lost. Which is a summary of saying his purpose was to give direction to the lost, food for the hungry, life for those that are dying, healing for the sick, and water for the thirsty. Now, of course, and that works um, in a, on a practical level. That works because, sadly, in our nation, there are people who need to use a food bank, which is an incredible thing in 2019 that we live in a nation where we can't support enough of our society to just put food in the fridge. I don't understand how that's possible, but sadly it is. So, of course, it's wonderful to do that. It's wonderful uh, to look after people who are ill, but actually it's also like that on an internal level as well because people are thirsty for something real. People are hungry for something to actually satisfy. I, I, I heard... No, can't share that with you. They just are. And, and, and you see it in what they do. You see it in the insatiable appetite for everything, whether, whether it's something to wear, whether it's somewhere to live, whether it's something to eat, whether it's something to take into your body, whether it's something to watch. All of those things are insatiable. That means you never reach a limit where you're satisfied. Every single one of them. And that goes for all of us, whether we know Jesus or not, because we don't all manage to find Jesus in everything. But Jesus' purpose was to seek and to save what was lost. But I want to explore how he did that. Because he did it very simply, and he did it, I think, by understanding one particular thing. To do that, I need to take you back to a story in the Old Testament, in a book, the first book of the Bible, Genesis. There was a guy called Jacob, and he was traveling, made camp for the night. And as he slept, God, he had this dream, and he records this dream in this book in the Bible, and he received various promises. When he wakes up, he says this. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. In other words, I just thought I'd have a quick kip. What I didn't realize was God was about. Now, I think this sums up much of our lives. We are so busy doing a million and one other things, so distracted that we fail to realize God is moving powerfully all around us. And it's one of our biggest challenges. And if you are going to be an ambassador, you've got to grasp this truth, okay? Well, no. If you're going to act as the ambassador you are, you have to grasp this truth, okay? Which is to see God has been fully present in every situation, every circumstance, every conversation, every meeting, every chance encounter, and every planned encounter. There's a little phrase in Christian circles that talks, oh, I had a divine moment. Which generally means that something special happened and whatever that might mean. But it's really unhelpful because it implies that the rest of the day was undivine or non-divine. Which it wasn't. It can't be true. It's not, I, I don't understand and I don't know and I don't recognise a God that turns up for a few milliseconds once a week whenever he fancies it. I know a God who is fully present, fully here, all the time, and he lives in the ether and on the inside of me and you. But how we perceive the time and the moment will determine what you have faith for in the moment. Perhaps if we perceived every moment as divine, we would see the divine in every moment. And by divine, I just mean representing Jesus. So perhaps if we perceived every moment as Jesus been there, we'd see Jesus in every moment. You see, 
Let me tell you about some circumstances. A man in a tree, a woman drawing water from a well, a fisherman mending his nets, an old woman putting a small change in the temple treasury, a mother burying her son, a fig tree by the side of the road, a crowd of hungry people, a homeless beggar. Completely ordinary moments, but they are all recorded in the Bible as Jesus doing something completely extraordinary. Why is that? Why is it that a man in a tree, a woman getting a drink, a man going about his normal life, people experiencing hunger, people experiencing illness, that's just normal life. Maybe not the man in the tree, but most of it you see most days. I mean, depending on where you live, you might see a man in the tree, I have no idea. But the point is this. It was normal life. But Jesus saw with different eyes. He saw with an ambassador's eyes. He saw every moment with the eyes of an ambassador, the eyes of someone completely devoted to bringing the love, heart and will of the Father into every moment. Why? Because, of course, he's Jesus. So he is divine in the first place. But because he's not looking for some special moment to kind of act, he's looking to bring himself into every moment. We, we get completely, we go, I wonder what special moment there's going to be a day where Jesus is going to be about. No, dummy, wrong. No, let's turn it completely around. I wonder which, whether I can not find Jesus in every moment. Is there a moment I cannot see him today? Because if he's there and he's everywhere, that means every conversation, at the checkout till in Asda, on the bus, in the car, at work, at the coffee thing, around the table, it's all divine. It's all special, and you have every moment of every opportunity to be an ambassador right there. But you've got to see it as that. You've got to learn to see with an ambassador's eyes that every moment is there. Jesus didn't wait for a divine moment. Oh, I just wait till Jesus tells me to talk. Why would you wait for him to tell you to talk? Does he not want you to tell people that, that he loves them? Is it just that one person that day that he wants you to put your arm around? Does he not want any of these people to know that they're precious and valued and loved? Do you get me? We do some ridiculous things, don't we? I do some ridiculous things. I've been there. Still journeying it myself. But you, of course, you are a carrier of the divine because Jesus lives in you. So you can do exactly the same. Every moment you currently see as ordinary can become extraordinary if you only realize that you carry the divine into that moment. Every single moment can be different. The whole concept of understanding you are an ambassador is not difficult to live up to when you start to see that every moment is divine because you are there. Every moment can be a breakthrough moment for people you are with and for you because you're in the room. We don't realize the power of it. We don't get it. We don't understand, we don't grasp the, the incredible power of it because we just, well, we get consumed with ourselves, to be honest, most of the time. And we forget that we are ambassadors to bring the heart, will, and love of the Father. You are an ambassador, and you have a message and a ministry of reconciliation. Let me finish with these thoughts. So Paul writes this, I shared this with you two weeks ago. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So God is all about, well let's keep reading, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them 
and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So everything about Jesus is about reconciliation. It's about bringing people back together. It's about restoring people. That's what it's all about. Because Jesus has already done it. He's not counting people's sins against them. So those things which we know are unhealthy and unhelpful and cause pain are cause pains to us. It says right there, Jesus is not counting it against them. He's not bringing it up. He's not got a list. He's not reminding them of it, which means you shouldn't either. Because he's not. He's not reminding anybody of all the ways they've failed and made a mess and made a mistake because he's not counting it against them. So again, where the church got it wrong, we thought we were the best people to tell everybody how they got it wrong. And Jesus went, no, I stopped doing that 2,000 years ago. But now, he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation just means bringing people back together. It's about restoring people, firstly to Jesus, or actually, in, in any order, to Jesus, to themselves, and to those around them. It's about restoring people there. This is really what Christianity is. If you want to know like what Christianity is in like a nutshell, it's this. It's restoring people to their original designs, lovers of Jesus, lovers of themselves, and lovers of those around them. That sounds like a manifesto I could get behind. That sounds exciting. That sounds like, oh yeah, I could do that. I could be a part of that. I could be involved in that. It's a good job, because I already am. But like... I just go, that's it right there. That's what Jesus is all about. And it's what we've got to be more and more and more and more about. Learning to view the world with our ambassador's eyes. And part of learning that is learning to see that every moment is divine because you are present in that moment. But I want to encourage you to start seeing the world with different eyes, with ambassador's eyes. Eyes that understand the need to bring the love, heart and will of the Father everywhere you go. Because trust me, we need, people need to wear something nice and something encouraging, don't they? I'm sick and tired of hearing people, just people's language get worse and worse. And what is acceptable just get lower and lower. But we've got a message of reconciliation. That's what Jesus does. He reconciles us. He brings us together. Brings us to himself first of all. And then to yourself, to all your past, to all your pain, to all your history, to all the shame. I mean, I wish I could just have five minutes with Demi Moore and go, I love that well of shame you feel. Jesus can take it and replace it with something beautiful. Oh, I love the fact she was so honest. I just hope somebody tells her that celebrity can't and money can't, but Jesus actually can. Jesus can. So I want to encourage you to start seeing the world with different eyes, with ambassadors' eyes. But to do that, you've got to be willing to fall before you can soar. Because once you start viewing the world through the eyes of the ambassador, then you face the responsibility it brings. Once you realise you are the one who was sent to bring the heart, love and will of the Father, and when you start to grasp that you are a finder, you are a direction giver, you are bread for the hungry and life for the dying and health for the sick and water for the thirsty, then you have to do something with it. Which is why most people don't want to be an ambassador. Because if they deny they're an ambassador, they deny having any responsibility to do anything about it. And that's nice and cosy and comfy. It's also incredibly selfish. It's incredibly selfish. So here's my question to finish. You have two choices. You can find some reason to decide that I'm wrong. 
And it wouldn't be difficult for you, I'm sure, if you wanted to. And that you are not an ambassador. That would just something else, some other time. Therefore, you don't have any responsibility to those around you and you can keep safe. But let me ask you. Somebody, somebody was an ambassador to you. Somebody, someday understood they were an ambassador to you. And now you have what you have got. And when somebody were an ambassador to you, and then you go, I'm not going to be an ambassador to anybody else. I don't think I need to say what that looks like, do I? Or you can embrace your ambassadorial role, jump out of the nest, go in the deep end, whatever metaphor you want to take, and take seriously your role in this world as an ambassador of Jesus Christ because you are called to restore people to their original design as lovers of Jesus, lovers of themselves, and lovers of one another. And I tell you, there is nobody on this earth who would not want to be reconciled to everybody around them and reconciled to themselves in the past and reconciled to somebody who loves them unconditionally and just thinks they're fantastic. That's the reality. That's the reality. That hits at a level that is just undeniably true, doesn't it? Yeah. It just hits at a place that's undeniably true. Who won't want to be reconciled? Who yeah. won't want something that actually hits the spot? Let's pray. Father, Father, I want to thank you for your heart, Lord. Which is that right there? That's who you are. You are one who just wants people, not just, you are one who wants people to be reconciled to their original design as lovers of you, fulfilled and satisfied, in love with one another and in love with themselves in a right way. And Father, we thank you for the imprevolable. I want to thank you, Lord, for every ambassador who shared you with us. Every ambassador, Father, every person who decided that they wanted to tell us about you. Tell us about your life and your goodness and your love and your grace, Lord. That meant we could get what we now have, Father, or where we're heading towards. And I'm asking, Jesus, that you would help us embrace, Father, this identity that we have as ambassadors of your kingdom to bring the heart, the love, and the will of the Father everywhere we go in every moment. And, Lord, I'm thanking you, Lord, that as we step out, I want to thank you for stories of soaring, Lord. I want to thank you right now, Father, that as we embrace the identity, you do not leave us. You do not ask us to do anything where you would see us fall, Father. You don't ask us to get out of the boat unless you know we can walk on water. So, Father, you don't ask us to feed thousands of people unless you know it's possible. So, Father, you don't ask us to be ambassadors thinking that it's impossible. You ask us to be ambassadors and you say we are ambassadors because you already know it's possible and feasible and wonderfully exciting. So, Father, we thank you right now in anticipation of the joys and delights and miracles of being your ambassadors. In Jesus' name, amen.